0: Good evening. My name is David. I'm one of the teaching pastors here. And I say this every time. I love Refuge Church. I love the people in it. And I love worshiping with you every Saturday night. And I love this worship team because they just usher us into the presence of God. And it's good to see Brandy back up, uh, singing because she's been out for several months after surgery. And I know it's been killing her that she's not been able to sing. So it's good to hear her voice back with the worship team. Now we do have some special guests with us here tonight. Well, I think they're special because they made me. Um, They are my parents who are visiting us all the way from Western North Carolina. And we have already had people tell my dad that he should be in a movie because of his southern country accent. Somebody told him today that he should be on the radio because of his deep voice and his accent. People just want to hear him talk. So if you want to hear him talk after church, then he'll talk to you. Um, You may not be able to understand him, but he'll talk to you anyway. But I better be on my best behavior tonight. Or as my mom says, she will jerk a knot in my tail if I'm not. So tonight we are beginning a new series called The Everlasting Life of Jesus, which is going to take us through Easter. Now tonight I want to look at a message that would normally be a Good Friday message, which means that we're going to be focusing on the crucifixion and the death of Jesus. A few months ago, I preached a sermon here called, Why God Did It That Way. And we walked through scripture talking about the different sacrifices that God had to make to cover the sin of humans. And we started, we went all the way back to Genesis, where God made the first sacrifice to cover the sin and shame of Adam and and Eve. And I Called that a lamb for a man. And then we focused on the children of Israel when they were in captivity in Egypt. And God told each family to sacrifice the lamb and put that lamb's blood over the doorposts so that the angel of death would pass over. And I called that a lamb for a family. And then we walked through the rest of the Old Testament. To where one time a year called the day of Pentecost, the priest would make a sacrifice to atone for the sins of the children of Israel. And I called that a lamb for a nation. And then we get to the New Testament where Jesus shows up and Jesus says, I am the blood of the new covenant. When John the Baptist looks at Jesus, points to him and says, behold, the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Jesus, the final sacrifice. And I called that the lamb for the world. Which brings us now to the crucifixion of Jesus. And I do have to warn you, this is neither a feel-good sermon or a pleasant one to hear. It might even sound graphic to some people, but I believe many people skip over this part just because of that. Just because it sounds graphic and it's not pleasant to hear. So that's why I titled tonight's message, Not for the Faint of heart. Today is April first, April Fool's Day, and Don's already April fooled my dad because Don introduced himself to my dad as Mike, and which stumped my dad because my dad's name is Mike, so it kind of you know threw him off a little bit. Um, and I haven't done any April Fools jokes to my parents because my mom threatened me because one year I had somebody call them and tell them that I was in jail. <laughs> So I can't do that anymore. I'm banned from April Fool's jokes. But since we're talking about the cross tonight, I wanted to start out by reading what Paul says about the message of the cross since today is April Fool's Day. In 1 Corinthians one eighteen, Paul says, The message of the cross is foolish to those who are headed for destruction. But we who are being saved know it is the very power Of God. You know, the word foolish is where we derive the English word moron, which means absolute nonsense, which means absurdity. I mean, think about it that anything could happen, anything significant can be accomplished through the death of a carpenter, that one man could die on a piece of wood. On a nondescript hill in a nondescript part of the world, thus determining the destiny of every human seems absolutely absurd. But in Paul's day, the the cross remained in widespread use by the Romans as a means of execution. It was a symbol of public shameful crimes against the powerful Roman God, empire the cross of christ was not foolish to the greeks and romans as a result of atheism in fact the greeks and the romans they had many gods but the cross of christ was foolish to that pagan culture because jesus christ was rejected by his own people and crucified like a common criminal by the roman empire So, from the Greek and the Roman perspective, that was no kind of God that they really wanted to worship. But then Paul goes on to say, but for those who are being saved because of their faith in Christ, the cross is understood to be God's most powerful act. You see, God's son did not lose a fight with the Jewish leaders or the Roman government. God the Father sacrificed his son Jesus for human sin. And Jesus, in spite of all his limitless power and his limitless authority, gave up his life to cover the sins of those who are perishing. Now tonight, we're going to be looking in detail at the crucifixion of Jesus. And what that what did that entail? What did it look like? but for us today, the pictures of the crucifixions that we see in churches and even our picture bibles or whatnot, they do not accurately reflect the true nature of what Jesus went through, because I think that none of us would want to see any pictures that accurately reflect exactly what jesus went through on the cross and while we are looking at that we'll be looking at some of the last sayings of Jesus as well while he was on the cross and the significance of those sayings to us today because even though he was crucified over 2,000 years ago what he said on that cross still carries meaning with it today One of the difficult tasks in preparing tonight's message was the fact that I had to flip back and forth between all four Gospels in the New Testament because all the Gospels have a different viewpoint of the crucifixion. And while all the Gospels have the different sayings of Jesus in them, not one Gospel have all the sayings that Jesus said on the cross. There were seven total. We're going to be looking at four of those tonight. But not only did did God require Jesus' death to set us free from sin and open the doors for eternity with him, but the cross and what Jesus went through on the cross today describes the realities of human suffering, abandonment, and death you know, like I said earlier, the crucifixion was a normal part of the death penalty in the Roman Empire. It's where the worst of the worst were publicly shamed and executed. And tonight, I'm going to give you a synopsis of the normal procedures that the Roman soldiers would carry out before crucifying someone and what Jesus went through. First, Jesus was arrested and not just by a few people. Jesus, this one man, was arrested by hundreds of men. Then Jesus was taken back and forth between Pilate and Herod, who were in different cities. And while these men were dragging him back and forth between these two cities, they were beating him because Pilate didn't want to make any decision. He didn't want to have anything to do with what was going on with Jesus. Herod didn't either. So they would go back and forth until a decision was made. And they would beat him and drag him all the way. And then before Jesus was shown to the public, he was scourged. Now the scourging procedure is mentioned in Matthew 27, Mark 15, Luke 23, and John 19. But here's the thing. They mention it, but if you want to do more research, if you want to dig deeper into the history of scourging, then you really get the picture of what Jesus actually went through. And that's what we're going to look at tonight. These Roman soldiers followed the normal procedures when they scourged Jesus. First of of all, they tied straps around his wrists, and they drew up his body so far that only the balls of his feet were touching the ground. This would give definition to every muscle, but it would also cause excruciating cramping. And then these men would come with leather straps, in their hands and tied to these leather straps were pieces of glass, pieces of metal, and pieces of stone. One would start at the neck, one would start at the ankles, one would be in the front, one would be in the back. These men were pros. We have an English phrase today that dates all the way back to this scourging process. I don't know if you've ever heard this phrase, but it's called, people say, you beat a man within an inch of his life. Have you ever heard of that? It goes all the way back to the scourging process because these guys were so good that they knew just how many times to beat a man, just how much flesh to tear off, that if they hit him one more time, it would kill him. And as part of the scourging procedure, they would mock Jesus, they would pull the beard out of his face, they planted a crown of thorns and wove it between his skull and his scalp, and these thorns weren't like thorns from a rose bush. Adrian had, Adrian and I had a bush on the side of our house when we moved in that had the biggest thorns I have ever seen in my life. And I wanted to know what it was called. So if you have an iPhone and you take a picture of a plant, you know Siri, she knows everything. And she can identify what that plant is and tell you its name. And you know what the name of that plant is? The crown of thorns. And then she describes that in detail and said, this was used as the crown of thorns for Jesus. And I just stared at it. And it was the most painful plant to get out of our house because I had to wear like these special gloves. And that still, you know, I was bleeding all over the place. And it just reminded me that this was in Jesus's scalp. Then they played a game with them called a game, the Game of Kings. This is where they would put a robe on him after they scourged him, after they beat him within an inch of his life. They put this robe on him, and then they would bow before him, mocking him as if he was a king, which he is, but they were mocking him, and they would leave that robe on him long enough to where it would stick and it would dry to the wounds that he had. And then they would rip it off, thus open up all the wounds back up and even further. And they would do this over and over and over again. Now this was all before the cross. Then they placed this heavy cross on his badly wounded back and made him carry it through the city While people were standing on each side, screaming at him, spitting on him, mocking him. Then they made their way up to Calvary, which was not a beautiful hill at all. It was a very ugly, foul-smelling place where so much blood had been shed from the previous crucifixions. Then when they got to Calvary, they stretched him out on the the cross, And they drove spikes as long as eight inches in his wrist and feet. And not in the places that we see in most of the pictures that you just saw a minute ago. Because in most places that we see, in most pictures that we see, we see it driven here. But that's not accurate. Because if you drove a nail here and put him on a cross... Your hand would slip out because there's nothing holding you in place here. So they would drive it here between all the bones and it would hold him to the cross. And then they raised him up and the cross would fall in this deep hole which would allow it to stand up straight. And it dropped with so much force that the psalmist prophesied some 800 years before about how much force he endured when this cross dropped. And in Psalm 22, it says that it dropped with so much force that his bones came out of joint. Now, this is probably not a good picture in your mind right now. And some of you probably wish that I would shut up. But see, there Jesus is hanging there naked and humiliated. If you didn't die from the fever, if you didn't die from the infection, if you didn't die from the loss of blood, you would die from suffocation. Because the only way that he could catch his breath is he would have to lift himself up just so much. And imagine the pain that would cause. Because he's hanging there with spikes in his wrists but he would lift himself up just so much where he could inhale but he could not fully exhale thus causing his lungs to fill up with fluid and give the sensation that you're drowning and then if you pierced your side out would come blood and water as what happened to Jesus now that's just The physical part. We now get to see what he was enduring in his soul sin. Now, I want you to think about the mistakes and the sins that you have made in your life. Think about how they made you feel. Think about how estranged you may have felt from God or even from your loved ones. Think of the guilt, think of the shame. Now, multiply that with every sin and mistake that you will ever make. Now, multiply that with everybody who has, is, or ever ever will live, and multiply that with every sin that they will ever commit, and now put that all in one man's heart, and then kind of, maybe, sort of, you will get a slight idea of what was really pushing down In his disfigured body. And while he's hanging there, he made some major statements that carry with it more weight for us today than I think that we will ever fully grasp. While he's hanging there, he says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. The graceful spirit of Jesus was still moving despite the evil things that was being done to him. And when he said, for they know not what they do, it was, own, it was their own ignorance and blindness to what they were doing that was causing them to act the way they did. And Jesus saw that. And that still holds true for us today. On the cross, Jesus felt tremendous pain physically and spiritually. God still feels pain for this world today, for the spiritual blindness and ignorance of this world. He reaches out and he says, I forgive you. And when we experience that kind of forgiveness, then that should increase our empathy for others as well. These words of Jesus should also cause self-examination. Because where are we oblivious and ignorant to the vision that God has for our lives? Where are we blind and apathetic to the pain and the injustice of the world around us? Because once we accept the forgiveness that God offers us, then we're able to turn toward a life of love and caring for those who are in need, who are experiencing injustice and hate from others. And while Jesus is hanging there, he says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You know, this cry right here is also a a prophecy fulfillment coming again from Psalm 22, verse 1. It's one of many parallels between that psalm and the specific events of the crucifixion. Now, it's difficult to understand In what sense Jesus was forsaken by God? I mean, think about it. Jesus has done nothing wrong to forfeit the favor of God. Jesus was innocent. Jesus was God's only son. He was holy. He was harmless. He was undefiled, and he was obedient to his father. And God still loved him. So in none of these senses could God have forsaken him. But then we go to yet another prophecy that is fulfilled in Isaiah, which is one of my favorite passages. It says, Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him, and afflicted, but he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities. the punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his stripes, by his very wounds, he was we are healed. So the physical pain on top of the spiritual pain were both weighing heavy on Jesus as he hung on the cross. Because Jesus was, yes, fully divine, but Jesus was also fully human. He felt human emotion. He felt pain. He felt abandoned by his father. Because in those awful moments, as evil men were allowed to do whatever they wanted to Jesus our Lord expressed his feelings of abandonment. Because God placed the sins of the world on his only son, and Jesus for a time felt the desolation of being absent of his father's presence. It was at this time that we read in 2 Corinthians five twenty one: God made him who had no sin, To be sin for us. So that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And now at times many of us know feelings of utter abandonment. Many of us have felt that God has abandoned us. Many of us may be in here today thinking That God has abandoned us. Maybe when we get the news that we didn't want to hear. Maybe when we lose that job. Maybe when we lose a loved one. When we experience unbelievable heartache and loss. We wonder where God is in all of it. When the ever-present God seems utterly absent. When we, are in our, when we are lost in the abyss of isolation and pain, we wonder, God, why have you abandoned me? God, where are you? But see, Jesus' prayer of abandonment is also a prayer of faith. Because Jesus is not hiding his feelings from his Father, He addresses his pain. To God, and He calls upon His Father to respond. And our Father wants us to do the same. In our moments of abandonment, God wants us to cry out to Him in the way that we will cry out to Him. Why have you forsaken me? God, I'm so mad at you right now. God, I'm in so much pain right now. Why? because we are his children and we too can bring our cries of absence to him but there's another possible reason for this for jesus to cry out my god my god why have you forsaken me because i said earlier it was a prophecy fulfillment because Psalm 22 1 says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me? So far from my cries of anguish. It could be that Jesus' intent in quoting Psalm 22 1 was to point his hearers to that Psalm because his hearers knew the law. They knew the Old Testament and they knew what Psalm 22 Says, And when they read Psalm 22, they would no doubt see the many fulfilled prophecies included in that song of David. So, even while Jesus is experiencing the agony of hanging on the cross, Jesus was teaching the crowds and proving yet again that he was the Messiah who was fulfilling the scriptures. And then while he was hanging there, he said, it is finished. It is finished is the English translation of the Greek word tedlistai. It means I did exactly what I was set out to do. And what was he set out to do? To become our kinsman redeemer, to pay our sins in full, past, present, and future. But another cool thing about this word is the fact that it's in the perfect tense in Greek. That's significant because the perfect tense speaks of an action which has been completed in the past with results continuing into the present. It's different from the past tense, which looks back to an event and says, this happened. The perfect tense adds the idea, this happened, and it's still in effect today. So when Jesus cried out, it is finished, he meant it was finished in the past, it is still finished in the present, and it will remain finished in the future. But you know, one other fact, he did not say... I am finished. For that would imply that he died defeated and exhausted. The remarkable thing is they couldn't kill him. The Bible says that he gave himself for us. Galatians 2 20 says, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the son of God who loved me and gave himself for me, which brings me to what Jesus said right before he died. He said, father into your hands, I commit my spirit. He gave himself up for us he gave up himself for us let that sink in they could not kill him he loved us so much that he endured so much pain both physically and spiritually in order to have a personal relationship with us sin required the death of jesus in order that we can have life with him So, picture him on the cross. And he says, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. The cross was gross, the cross was bloody. The cross was gory, but it was also beautiful at the same time because of what it means for us today. As I was praying about how to close this out, I was listening to worship music, and this song came on. And it fits perfectly with what we have been talking about, and when I heard it, I just wept. Thinking about what our Savior went through for me. And the chorus of this song says, Who am I that the King of the world would give one single thought about my broken heart? And who am I that the God of all grace wipes the tears from my face and says, Come as you are? You paid the price, you took the cross, you gave your life. And you did it all with me on your mind. I'm going to read it again as the worship team comes forward. Who am I that the king of the world would give one single thought about my broken heart? And who am I that the God of all grace wipes the tears from my face and says, come as you are? You paid the price. You took the cross. You gave your life. And you did it all with me on your mind. Let's pray. Father, sometimes I'm just utterly speechless. When I think about what you went through in order for me to be able to have a personal relationship with you. Jesus, I just want to thank you. I just want to thank you. Because of what you did for me. And now I get to be with you forever. When you were hanging on that cross, you had every one of us in this room on your mind. Thank you. We love you so much. Amen.
1: Okay, uh, so what What do we have left in miscellaneous? Online? Nothing. Nothing? Where did it all go? I, diapers. Diapers? Since when does diaper money come Listen out Listen up, you two. We need to talk about Easter. Honey, we would love to talk with you about Easter, but... i And daddy sick of are waiting on you guys. Lucy, hi. Um... Look, we know how important it is for you to invite our family and friends to Easter services. We've just been really busy lately. Okay, that's enough, big guy. Excuse you? Who are you inviting to Easter service? I need names, people! Okay. Have you been letting her listen to sermons in the minivan again? Uh, sweetie, can you please just get off the coffee table? (laughs) <laughs> Look, um, full transparency, uh, Mom and Dad don't really know how our friends would react if we asked them to go to church with us. Be in the Lord. Really need a new nap time playlist. Mm-hmm. Jesus is going to be real sad. <sighs> You're right people really do need Jesus. Clearly now more than ever. We'll come up with a list of names, okay?
0: Daddy, please try to keep up. Well.
1: No. No, not Chris from work. Yeah. Chris from work. Yeah. <sighs> talking to Nicole earlier this week and I said, you know, at Refuge, we do try to keep Easter kind of simple and intimate and honest because that's who we are as a church. So no big spectacles or I told Nicole, I said, so we're not going to rent out a helicopter and throw bunnies out of an airplane. I meant to say Easter eggs. Bunnies is a different kind of word picture being thrown out of an airplane. No one would forget the name Refuge if we would do that. Um, But we are, if you've been here for any length of time, you know we are a unique church. I call us sometimes the unicorn church. People just don't think we actually exist because of who we are and how we do things. And you have found refuge and you have made a home here. But there are other people like you. And so if you know Other people who are like you or other people who need a church-like refuge, I do encourage you. Easter is an easy time to invite someone to come with you and grab dinner afterwards on a Saturday night, and they can still do Easter at home on Sunday morning. Next week, the music is going to be fire. I've been working with Brandy, putting that together this week. I am going to preach my tail off next week. I promise you that so you can feel confident that if you bring somebody with you, It'll be an amazing service. Uh, We do have these little cards that you can pick up in the lobby. They're little square invite cards. It just says, who we are, come as you are, and be loved. It's got our address and worship time on the back of it. Most importantly, we want to continue to be a safe place for all people to explore their faith in Jesus and his resurrection. And next week will certainly be an opportunity to do that as we look at the everlasting life of Jesus and more importantly, the resurrection of Jesus. God bless. Love you all. See you next week.
0: I search the world